Jeremy and I are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. We aren't able to spend time in absolutely every passage, but we're looking at some of these uh, significant passages through the Gospel, trying to get a picture of uh, Jesus as Luke is presenting him. All of the Gospels we know had to kind of select their stories. There were too many stories to put in uh, on paper. And so Luke uh, has a particular angle that he wants to show us about Jesus. And I think that Luke's particular perspective is revealed, maybe in this parable, best of all. If you were to take a survey, I suspect, of Christians around the world that know the Gospels and ask them, what's your favorite parable? There are two or three that always rise to the top. A lot of people know the parable we talked about last week, the parable of the soils. And a lot of people love the parable of the prodigal son. But for many, 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 many people, myself included, the parable of the Good Samaritan is number one. It's just amazing. It, from a literary standpoint, it has wonderful, it's, it's got a beautiful plot and it's got wonderful little characters. You actually kind of know who these people are like, except the guy that gets beat, beat up. We really know nothing about his personality. But the others, we kind of, I think you would know what they would do next in these situations. Jesus just kind of gives us a portrait of them. But Luke tells us about this parable Jesus told. We sure Jesus told many parables that we don't even get a record of. But Luke tells us this parable because it brings across an important message which is crucial to Luke's whole project. And, uh, uh, and it helps us to understand something about ourselves as well. The story is, of course... This man is going down this very dangerous road. The road between Jerusalem and Jericho is a mountainous road. Yodi and I have been on that road in a bus, and I'm usually pretty uh, uh, calm about vehicular travel. I don't get car sick or anything like that. I was actually quite scared on that road. It is a it is a steep, mountainous climb, and the bus we were in was so long that the end of it just kept swinging way out over these huge drops. And I was uncomfortable being back there. I went to the middle like that was really going to help, you know. <laughs> the end's not going to drop off. I mean, if the, if the end falls, the whole bus falls, but still. This, is a, this was an arduous journey that he was on. There are lots of places for people to hide and mug somebody, and that's what happens. It's just a band of thieves, and they just jump out and beat him half to death. They don't care what happens to him. They get his money and they run off and that's it. He lives, he dies. It's not really their concern. And there he is. He desperately needs help. He desperately needs someone to have mercy. And that's where the story starts. Who will show mercy? Who will show mercy? Well, here comes a priest. Here comes a Levite. These are the holy men of the culture. These are the people who spend their time in church. Well, they spend their time in the temple, which is the same thing. 
They're dedicated to God's service. These are the people, if anybody uh, in the culture knows, they are the people who know about God and what God's priorities are. And yet they pass by. Who will show this man mercy? Along comes a Samaritan. That word Samaritan doesn't set off any alarm bells in our heads. It doesn't have any, it doesn't have any weight to us. And so we cannot get the sort of intake of breath there would have been when Jesus said this parable. Have you ever been in a, in a gathering where somebody says something that's just so inappropriate, everybody just can't help it. They just go, <gasps> you know, it's like there's no oxygen left in the room for a minute because everybody just so shocked. And that's what Jesus did. And he did it on purpose. He says, here comes a Samaritan. And it's the Samaritan who stops. And it's the Samaritan who cares. And it's the Samaritan who bandages. And it's the Samaritan who goes far beyond even neighborly action. He goes into familial. He puts him on his own beast and he carries him to an inn and he pays money and he, and he pr- provides everything that's necessary to, to possibly give this man a chance at life. It's the Samaritan who does that. The hated Samaritans. The Samaritans were racially different from the Jews. They were religiously different from the Jews. They were politically different from the Jews. And they were right next door to the Jews. I mean, it is the worst possible kind of hatred that could exist between people. And it's the Samaritan who is the neighbor. And that's kind of the point of the story. Remember that this story, uh, although we love the parable... It's actually in response to a legal question, which you've got right there on your study sheets. The the lawyer comes and says, I want to do righteous things. I want to be good, Jesus. I want to get into heaven, the kingdom of heaven. What do I need to do? Well, uh, you know, what's the greatest command? Love God. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who actually is that that I have to love? Tell me, tell me who my neighbor is, because I don't want to waste my love on, you know, people God doesn't force me to love. I'll, I'll love the people that God says I have to love on pain of going to hell. But please don't make me love extra people. Who is my, lo- who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story, and then when he gets to the end, he says... Which of these three was the neighbor to the man who got mugged? Now, he could have asked it the other way. He could have said, uh, you know, he he could have asked it in terms of which, uh, you know, this man was a neighbor to whom? Because the Samaritan said, this man's my neighbor. He treated him like a neighbor. He fulfilled the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus could have asked the question in that order, but instead he asked it the other way. Which of the three was a neighbor to the man? And that's really the, that's the moral, and you've heard me preach this before. Jesus says, 
God's commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. How big is it? Who does it include? It includes those human beings from whom you would accept help if you were dying beside the road. If there is a species of humanity that you feel is so beneath you that you, wouldn't, you would rather die than let them help you, I guess they're not your neighbor. But everybody else is in the circle, Jesus says. Everybody else is in the circle. He says to that lawyer, go and do that. Go and do that. God wants your love to be as wide as his own. That's the moral of the story of the Good Samaritan. God wants your love to be as wide as his love. Does God love the people that you hate? Does he? I don't even like to ask that question because I know the answer and I don't want to answer it. God loves my enemies. And he is calling me. He's always been calling me, but now especially because he sent Jesus Christ to show what it looks like, he is calling me to love my enemies too. This is tough for us for a variety of reasons. And the reason why Jesus gave one of his best parables to help us over this difficulty. I feel more comfortable hanging out with people that are like me. That's just human nature. Birds of a feather and all that. I feel more comfortable hanging out with people who watch the same TV shows I do and eat the same kind of food I do and, and were raised the same basic way that I was and, and know the same references that I do. Less awkward things happen. I just feel more comfortable. And left to my own devices, that's exactly what I will do. I'll just kind of narrow my circle down. And so God says, you got to widen your circle out. And the mark of me in you is the extent to which you're able to love. And I don't mean just sort of, oh, I'll love them as long as I don't have to do anything. I mean practical like the good Samaritan love, care and ministry. To love those people who are outside of your preference circle. And it goes deeper than that. Human beings always organize themselves. We're political animals, Aristotle said. We organize ourselves politically. We organize ourselves socially. We organize ourselves, obviously, religiously. And one of the persistent temptations of leaders of any organization is to build up high walls on the edges of those organizations to better control those who are within. Walls that say those on the outside are our enemies. 
Those on the outside are to be hated. Those on the outside are to be ridiculed and despised. Those, that kind of propaganda allows peop, the leaders on the inside to, to keep the people loyal and to keep the people functioning. That happens in politics. We see it all the time today. That happens in social groups. We see that all the time. And people have felt the, the sting of that down through the ages. And folks, let's not kid ourselves. That happens in church. It is a persistent temptation of church leaders to build up walls separating one group from the other. And if all we had was the story of the Good Samaritan, we know something was wrong with that. We've got a lot more. But just the story of the Good Samaritan tells us God is on a mission to break down walls of hatred, not to build them up. It is not Christian to mock people who believe differently than you do. It's not. You're not being Jesus. Now, it is Christian to do the best you can to say what is the truth. And I, I do not want to back off of that at all. The best you can try to figure out what the truth is and the best you can stand up for that truth. But ridicule, abuse, bullying, mockery, show me where that's in the Bible. That is not our tool chest, folks. We don't do that. And when our leaders do, if I do that, I am wrong. You should call me on it. When other leaders do that, they are wrong. You should call them on it. We don't build up walls of hatred to try and serve Jesus Christ. We just don't. In fact, the whole reason I think Luke brought the Good Samaritan parable out. He's the only gospel writer who does it. And the reason he brings it out is because it shows Jesus was all about breaking these barriers. He was all about breaching these barriers. All the way through the gospel, you can kind of see that story. I've given you several samples here uh, that show that, that Jesus is all about widening the circle. He's, Jesus constantly widens the circle of ministry and fellowship all through. No, it starts back in chapter 2. The, the angels come to the shepherds who would be beneath most people's social interaction. And, and, and it continues on. Jesus is constantly interacting with people he shouldn't interact with, that the social norms say he shouldn't. Touches that man who has leprosy. Uh, he calls Levi, who's a tax collector. He goes and heals that centurion's servant. He goes to a Pharisee's house and has dinner. And while he's at the dinner, as Jeremy preached a while back, this sinful woman comes and anoints his feet, and he's fine with that. In fact, he pronounces her part of the community at the end of that by forgiving her sins. He's constantly being criticized for eating with tax collectors and sinners and for welcoming them. 
And his response again and again and again is, yeah, because that's my job. People who think they're spiritually healthy won't take my medicine, so I got to go to those who at least are aware they're sick. That's why I came. Jesus constantly widens the circle of ministry and fellowship. And that's part of Luke's long project because Luke's, remember, this gospel is volume one. He's got a volume two, and that's the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, he shows you where Jesus is headed with all this. While Jesus is on earth, he widens and widens and widens. He includes women. He includes others. He brings people in again and again, and he's constantly breaching the barriers. And when we get to the book of Acts, we see what his long game plan is. Because he tells them, you, unlikely lot that you are, you, my disciples, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. You're going to go. You're going to go all over the place. They were just asking, are you going to bring the kingdom to Israel? And he says, I'm bringing the kingdom to the world. Israel's kingdom is now the world kingdom. My kingdom is going to spread everywhere. It's your job to do it. And we see that happening in the book of Acts. I mean, that's actually, those are some of the major literary milestones, the way the book of Acts is structured. Jerusalem sermon, Acts 2. Judea spreads out. Philip goes to Samaria, Acts 8. Peter gets called to to preach to the first uh, Gentiles in Acts 10. Boom, boom, boom. Barriers are falling. Where does Paul end up by the end uh, of the book of Acts? He's in Rome. He's able to preach freely to everybody who will come and listen. He's, He's a prisoner, but he's able to preach freely. At the ends of the earth, symbolically speaking. The church of Christ is given the task of widening the circle of ministry and fellowship to include the whole world. The church of Christ is given the task of widening the circle of ministry and fellowship to include the whole world. God loves the people you hate. The lines that are set up at your school, the barriers that are established at your workplace, the racial divisions in Oklahoma City, the economic divisions that plague not just this city but our whole country, We find ourselves on this side or on that side of one after another man-made division. God loves the people on both sides of every one of those. He does not want his kingdom narrowed in, crammed down, shrunken. His love burst out and he wants our love to burst out. He wants us to get bigger. People ask all the time, you know, what, what does the Holy Spirit do? What, how does the Holy Spirit act? You know, what are the signs of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you one of the main signs that the Holy Spirit is being effective in your life. 
Because this is not hard. It, and this, this is not easy. This is, this is difficult. It takes the Spirit, I think, to help us get over what we're talking about this morning. I don't want this just to be a sermon. Everybody says, yeah, good, that was a nice 30 minutes. And then go back to the way things are. One of the signs of the Holy Spirit in your life is your ability to cross barriers in love and ministry. To reach out and make actual contact with, to have actual relationship with people that the world is telling you to shun. When the world tells you, if you hang out with them, everybody else is going to think you're a loser. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, and that's exactly why you want to be there. When the world tells you, those folks aren't like us, you don't want to go over there. That's exactly when the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you do. When the world says, how can you even speak to him after what he's done to you? That's when the Holy Spirit says, that's why I've got to speak to him. You want to know if the Holy Spirit's active in your life? You want to feel his presence? Let the Holy Spirit move you across the artificial boundaries of hate that the world sets up. Let the Holy Spirit make your heart expand and become wide like the love of God. If you need to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ who died so that you could be brought in when you were God's enemy, Jesus died so that you could be brought in. He did that because he loves you and he wants you to be a part of his circle of love. If you want to respond to that invitation today by coming forward and saying, today I want to be baptized. I want to put on Jesus Christ. I want his name. I want people to know it. And I want to be his person from here on out. Then today you could do that. We've got the water ready. Today you could become a Christian. Why not, why not take that step? Just in just a moment when we're standing and singing, you can come forward and that can happen for you today. You may have prayer requests. You may have things that you're struggling with that you need to kind of share with the body and get the strength of the body praying with you. If you need anything like that that we can do, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?